Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. Welcome, Seekers, to episode number 120 of God Beyond the Bible, a podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. This is our fifth episode where we have chosen to revisit a topic from one of our earliest episodes from our very first year of podcasting. We have come so far. Yes, we have. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it has been interesting to see how our spiritual perspectives have evolved. But before we get ahead of ourselves, we have some shout outs. Yeah, our shout outs are to Glenn and Paula. Leon, Brooke, and Angie, we're glad to have you guys listening. Well, and the quote is an original with me, and it goes like this. As pertaining to mixing law and grace, it can be done, but the exchange only flows one way. Why so? Because you can pour an unlimited amount of grace into a pool of legalism, and while it may dilute its potency, it's still legalism. However, should we allow one drop of legalism to spill into the pool of grace... It has changed the whole solution, for it is no longer grace. The same may be said of unconditional love and conditional love. The moment a condition is in place, it is no longer unconditional love, and never can return to the state of unconditional love until all conditions have been erased. Very true. Very true. Okay, today we will be taking a fresh look at a topic that we first discussed in episode 6 from February of 2019. That episode was titled The Conflict of Doctrine in the Early Church. So as with all these episodes where we're revisiting previous episode topics, we strongly encourage you to go back and give the original episode a listen. In those early three-part episodes, we included a lot of data and research and Bible texts. In our present single-segment format, that was almost a tongue twister, we prefer to build on the foundation that we've already laid. That's like saying Swiss wristwatches. (laughs) So for clarity, what was the conflict of doctrine of the early church? It was the age-old battle of grace versus the law, like we discussed in our Mm -hmm. quote earlier. To clarify it further, it was Paul and his saved by grace through faith teaching, opposing James's faith plus works doctrine. And if you lay the two passages containing the conflicting doctrine side by side. As we did in that episode, mm -hmm. uh uh-huh. It becomes clear that they were firing their words right at one another. They even both quoted the same Old Testament text pertaining to Abraham and then took two totally different interpretations from it. Now, before we talk about why the organized church seems to ignore this clear conflict, let's talk a little uh, about 
the grace versus law conflict itself. Now, we want to remind our listeners of what is at stake here and why it makes a difference. The idea of Paul's, by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast, uh, statement in Ephesians chapter 2, should have been the most enlightening and most embraced doctrine in the past 2,000 years. The principle of this doctrine is this. Jesus suffered the penalty of our sin. He took our place so that we can be considered righteous. In other places, Paul wrote, he became sin that we may become righteous. So simply put, by Paul's position, a person should need only to trust Jesus to have fully satisfied the demands of the law and to have fully set aside the barrier of the sin issue that had plagued the relationship between man and God since the beginning. Salvation teaching doesn't get any better than that, right? Not as far as I'm concerned. Jesus says, trust me to know what I'm doing. We give him the nod and say, you bet it's all yours and we are made right with the divine forever. No, nope, I mean, nothing else added. I nothing love added. Yeah. And, oh, no assembly required. Nope. <laughs> and then you have James and Peter and Jude. While Peter and Jude warned that if God didn't spare the angels who were in heaven and then failed and were cast out, that we certainly can't expect that even if we are right with him at the moment, that he won't cast us away as well if we fail, even after we believed. Few Bible students haven't discovered this conflict of opinion on the pages of the Bible. Now think about it. You're all caught up in Paul's talking about how we are forgiven and our sins are remembered no more and we're forever made right and how the law never made anyone right with God anyway. And his even and include his strong words to the Galatians who were dabbling in legalism. He said, who has bewitched you and cast a spell on you that you would, re, that you would turn so quickly from grace to legalism? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then you find yourself reading James saying, show me your faith without the aid of works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And faith without works is non-existent faith. It is dead. And throw... Peters, why do you think his grace will cover you? It didn't do the angels any good. And suddenly we're thrown into this conflicting spiritual and emotional turmoil. You kind of feel like you got the bait and switch. Yeah. Because Paul's over here going, guys, everything's good. good. It's it's great. Relax. Enjoy the life that you're given. Hey, man, he didn't even save the angels. And think about that. They're up (laughs) here with him all the time. And he cast them into eternal damnation. Yeah. That's a rough one. Yeah. So... We go to someone, a friend, a Sunday school teacher, our pastor, and we talk about this conflicted feeling that we're having when we read these conflicting passages. And what do they tell us? Exactly what they've been programmed to say. No, you're misinterpreting what they meant. Paul and James, Peter and Jude, they're really all saying the same thing. They're just expressing it differently. And we either just have to accept the answer straight from the apologetics handbook or as we think about it, like any logical thinking person should, we think to ourselves, how can one person who says good works don't count and another who says, oh yes, good works do count, be saying the same thing? So let me ask you guys a question. Okay. When you were very deep in apologetics in the church, legalism and and all of this, trying to to balance, we were trying to balance everything in the Bible to make it. When someone would ask you a question like that and you would answer, did you... I always have that feeling in the pit of your stomach that I'm going to say this because I know it's the right thing to say, Yeah. but I can't really make sense of why. What we're doing is I'm going to say this because it's protecting the principle that I've built everything on, that the Bible's divine. 
there's no conflicts. Trace had read it to us between the break of all ago of what the apologetic's answer is. And it said, yes, the Bible is divine. It came to us straight from the hand of God right to us. And, and mm-hmm. it is divine and infallible and all of that. And when you build your whole life on that, you're going to protect that with some pretty good fervor. I will never forget having a um, teacher, the Sunday school teacher through the years. And one of those questions came up about in one of our Sunday school lessons where they were trying to explain how Peter and Paul and James were all saying the same thing. And she goes, well, this is really one of those lessons that you just you don't think about it too hard. It's just the way it is. (laughs) Yeah, we just don't think about that. Just don't think about it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm number nine, right? Mm-hmm. Why is it you think that the organized church deems it necessary to use a ridiculous explanation like they're really saying the same thing? I mean, doesn't that answer imply that I'm either too dumb to be reading the Bible or at least feel like our, I should feel like my intelligence has been insulted by them thinking we might believe such a crock? Truthfully, for me, it was... Why can I not get this? Yeah, why, Everyone why can else? I yeah, not make yeah, sense of this? Yeah, why am I not seeing this? Yeah, why because am I not? the more... I'm just going to use the more brainwashed you get into the doctrine, the more saturated you are with it, the more you're standing back going. Well, oh, yeah, guys, I've got this. I understand this is just the way it is. And you pop off these answers. And then everyone else who's standing back going, I don't really get this is really too afraid to stand up and go, guys. I, I think, it's like the emperor's new clothes. I think what thing. you're I think what you're really saying is the deeper we're invested mm. in it. Yes. The deeper we invest into that dogma and doctrine, well, the more we protect it because we've got an investment and you protect your investments. And that was hard for me <laughs> to let go and say, oh, my gosh, I've been doing this wrong for 20 years. <laughs> no idea. One of my we favorite try it for 50 years. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from Buddha is dogma is one of the most dangerous things men can ever come across. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's very true. Well, what we were talking about asking, you know, is it just a big, why why are you insulting my intelligence? We We think that's a little strong, but the real reason that is the chosen answer to the obvious conflict of doctrine between Paul and James goes much deeper and there's much more at stake than just a mere doctrinal difference. The truth is the real reason the organized church cannot admit the conflict is that they have built their whole empire on the principle that the Bible is divine. And that is the holy word of God, a single divine work, infallible and unquestionable. So in other words, Tabby, I come up to you and I'm the equivalent of the Bible. I tell you that I am absolutely never wrong. I am infallible. I never contradict myself. Tabby's rolling her eyes right now. But then I proceed to tell you that the sky is red. And if you're going to accept my inerrancy and that I'm always right and that I never contradict myself, then you're going to have to accept that the sky is orange, even if that doesn't sit well with you. And yes, I did that on purpose. (laughs) But it's the truth. I mean, it it is. You changed it from red to orange. All of a sudden there, yeah. (laughs) Caught that there. Okay, Tracy, are you laboring? I am. So to acknowledge the clear conflict of doctrine that occurs in letters of Paul and James is saying that God has two different things and or that God says two different things and a book handed to us straight from the divine couldn't have a conflict of opinion in it could it I mean it's the same God is he disagreeing with himself and this is why it's so dangerous to hitch our wagon to a single ancient work and declare it as infallible when we know that the intent may have had divine origins but it was delivered 
to us through fallible means. Let me give you an example. In the legal community, especially law enforcement and the court, the chain of evidence is crucial. When evidence is collected from a crime scene, that evidence must not ever be in a position that it might be touched by anyone outside of law enforcement and those of the legal system. An officer or investigator of a shooting doesn't pick up the weapon with his bare hands and then turn to a civilian bystander and ask him to hold the gun until someone gets there to bag it. Why? Because while the gun may still be used as evidence as the crime weapon, its credibility may be called into question as a result of the way the evidence was handled and obtained. Mm -hmm. That may sound a little harsh, but why is it that we are so willing to ignore clear evidence when it comes to our religion? Well, folks, there was a conflict of opinion, of interpretation, and doctrine between the two (laughs) early church leaders. But there is a much more valuable lesson that can be learned if we will accept this fact, and that is that it is okay for us to have different interpretations and opinions as to who the divine is and how he operates. It's okay. Yeah, Yeah, it's fine. All right. We may even state why we believe what we believe, just as Paul and James clearly did. But while they clearly, each one believed he was right and the other was an error, they did not resort to slandering one another's character, <clears throat> as many in the religious community are doing And I thought today. that was bold. I thought that was big of them. Yes. They, they argued their points, mm-hmm. stated that they both believed they were very much right and the other was wrong, but they didn't, they didn't, they didn't slander the character of the other guy and that is probably i mean i don't really resort to slandering the character but i tend to want to i used to really bad want to argue my point just see my point of view just see that i'm right but it honestly doesn't matter because if that's what you believe it's okay and it doesn't matter who believes it that doesn't make it right or wrong or correct or incorrect i think that's the hardest thing to leave behind sometimes is that need to be right well that's our that's our spiritual it ego is, we is. have we have a religious ego we In, have yes. yeah religion the has ego religion is connected to ego it protects and the its. church teaches you there is no place for tolerance in yeah, the it, it's, no, it's, it's, no it's intolerance yes intolerant to everything and that's what's there again look at where the christian community is look at how the church is the organized church not the church not the church that jesus talked about not believers but the organized religion religious Mm -hmm. church is collapsing it is it's collapsing in on itself and rapidly yes it is so these two strong and opinionated guys um paul and james these two early church leaders they disagreed respectfully with one another one thing is for certain they ignited a conflict that still rages in the church community today. One group says, once saved, always saved, while the other says, oh no, you might be saved today and tomorrow, or you might do something or fail to do something that revokes your status of saved. And, and I will say this, to me, honestly, truthfully, I believe that it was, if you want to say once saved, always saved. When you start making assumptions that you have to do something to win Christ's favor or he's going to turn his back, is that not, one, it negates what what he did for us. Well, but that's, two, that's, not, that's not unconditional love. No. No, it's <laughs> but not. But two, that, you have to really take a step back and say, okay, wait, is this my ego just letting me say, okay, but if I do this, then I'm doing something to make him love me. Of course. So, of course, yeah. Well, we can manipulate. I mean, exactly. it, 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 if your love is conditional, I can manipulate you there. Yeah. 
If you have unconditional love, you can't be manipulated. Unconditional love cannot be manipulated. Truth. Well, and then there are those among us who take what was said of Jesus literally. He came to take away the sins of the whole world. Uh, that's what the angel told Mary and was announced to the shepherds at his birth. Perhaps it's time to consider the idea that we came from the divine. Yes. There is a divine spark in each of us. Mm -hmm. And that divine spark will take us back to its place of origin. And you don't have to join my organization or even think like or agree with my doctrines for us both to be right with God. Yes, right. As always, until next time, may the divine's unconditional grace, peace, and love be on, in, and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.